I've decided. It 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 took a really long time, but I, I really want to make the transition, and I am going to need a lot of TLC. I'll want to use a different name, too, but I haven't really picked one yet, so... No, no, first I want to announce it on Twitter. I'm familiar with the arguments for keeping it private, but I believe that by letting other people know that I'm making this change, then, I don't know, maybe I could give them courage to wrestle with their own choices, you know? So, how many months do you think it'll take? Kion, I couldn't help overhearing this. I had no idea. As your friend, I wish you had talked with me about your plan to become a man. Wow, I've heard a lot of terms for dropping cable, but I've never heard it described that way. Oh, I misunderstood. But could we talk about that? Because for a long time, I've been feeling the real me, the dish Greg, is trapped inside this Comcast Greg body. I've seen that in you for such a long time. I've been waiting for you to see it for yourself, Greg. Will I still be able to use the cable subscriber's bathroom? Some things about this may be strange at first. Meanwhile, today on The Nose, a Caitlyn Jenner conversation. And now he's looking back on all those camping weekends with Dennis Hastert in a whole new light. Colin McEnroe. Oh, good, you're still there. Remember, I need a lot of TLC. I am totally addicted to say yes to the dress and the Duggars. Uh, You know, looking back on that whole Dennis Hastert thing, yeah. I mean, he said, well, we should... It's cold. We should use the same sleeping bag. Um, I don't know. I, I've got a lot of memories that are kind of jumbled up right now. All right. So oh, it's time to do the news. Time for the news to speak with us as our writer, author, Rand Richard Cooper, uh, and uh, musician and producer, uh, Jim Chapdelaine, and making her second appearance on the news, uh, but still still claiming to be having, having some jitters, Kate Russian. She's a poet, former director of the Center for African-American Studies, visiting writer at Wesleyan University, and many other things besides. Uh, and so we're going to we, – there's no way we're not talking about Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, oddly enough, the story seemed vivid and interesting enough like a week ago, and it really has taken some sharp turns too. There are some uh, ways in which the, the story has morphed over the course of the week. But I kind of want to begin at the beginning and, and, and at least talk about – one of the questions that I have, I'd be interested to hear how you guys feel about it, is, um, you know, is this – Kate, does this feel to you – I mean here we are, this guy, he's a, um, a, an Olympic decathlete, a gold medal winning, winning decathlete. So here's a, a kind of at least back in his glory days, you know, the perfect symbol of American virility. Um, making this transition, now he's a she, she's Caitlin. Um, and I'm, does this feel like kind of an Ellen DeGeneres moment where the nation kind of gets used to this person they already like a certain way uh, and therefore maybe – makes it easier for people who weren't comfortable with this idea, who didn't get this idea, to get it? Or or, or is Bruce, does Bruce Jenner not kind of loom that large or play that way? Well, I hope that uh, Bruce Jenner coming out as Caitlyn Jenner makes more space for the people in between the perfect hyper-masculine uh, athlete on the Wheaties box and the perfect – hyper-feminine uh, Caitlin on Vanity Fair because most people, trans or otherwise, don't live in Hollywood. We live somewhere in the middle, and I hope that uh, Jenner is creating more space for 
people of color, older people, um, trans people, mm-hmm. whether they be celebrities or not. You don't have to be athletic and beautiful to be okay, no matter what your choices are. But I still, Jim, I still also, I do wonder, I mean, we we see these incredible shifts in public opinion. We've lived through one recently where really, you know, I remember being on AM radio and being in favor of gay marriage in the 90s and people were tearing me apart and it was this really weird exotic idea. I mean, what are you talking about? Gay people getting married? You know, that, can't, that can't possibly happen. And, and you know, because of, I think, a whole bunch of shifts, but but a lot of it starts with with maybe somebody famous or a bunch of people who are famous that people are are very comfortable with suddenly announcing this new aspect of themselves, and people kind of get used to it, and then they can they can handle something a little bit better. I don't know whether Caitlyn Jenner really is that kind of figure, and I don't know whether she's going to help people get used to this idea. People who aren't comfortable with it yet. From from my very unofficial uh, Pew surveys that I've been doing, um, I would say that maybe yes, in a, to the general public, she could now be some sort of figurehead for this, uh, uh, an awareness movement at least. Um, as was uh, the woman Kathy, who was a former uh, Navy SEAL who came out and is apparently uh, raising millions and millions of dollars for the trans community. But other than in a sort of pop cultural way, I felt sort of really unqualified to to talk about this because it's <laughs> this not – This is a pop culture event. That, exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. But I did take the liberty of, of uh, contacting a friend of mine who is transitioning and it turns out, you know, the best analogy I can make is if, you know, George – Clooney suddenly came out as bald. Would this be a liberating moment for bald people or whatever? I, I don't know. Is somewhere or there? I don't think that's the best analogy. It's not the best analogy. It's, it's the best <laughs> analogy I have in the last ten seconds. But, but, but my friend who is transitioning right now was very put off by it because here's uh, Caitlin with infinite resources and capitalizing on it, it. That it was a very Hollywood moment to her, mm-hmm. and that. That she pointed out that you know forty percent of trans women have suicidal thoughts or tendencies, and uh, that in addition to that, when they become trans women, they suffer the same pay disadvantages or, or financial disadvantages that real women suffer. Like the, and that carries right over. That's the one thing that society feels good about. Like oh, seventy three percent, we're good with that. So I think it could be this big meta moment, but it does speak to a whole community that's been disenfranchised. Rand, I know that you uh, were uh, seized by at least partly the fact that uh, Caitlyn Jenner acquired uh, Twitter followers even faster than President Obama did when he opened his Twitter account. I mean, does 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 the shower of publicity does the, do the bright lights? I mean, Kate is kind of saying the same thing that. Most people's transitions just can never be as beautiful as this and probably never as public as this too. She also has a super PAC that she's exploring a <laughs> GOP candidacy She's a Republican, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, as we have dismayingly learned uh, when, when President Obama started tweeting, a not insubstantial proportion of his, of his followers were people who were saying really horrible, abusive things. Um, I, I do think it's spectacular that um, – this coordinated rollout of the Caitlin moment, which seems to have been planned extraordinarily well with great forethought 
and and what was it? You know, copies of the magazine were first of all this the, the article was kept secret. Copies of the magazine were kept in some special office, and access was was controlled. And when Caitlin was still Bruce, um, he, she he at that point was this is a number of weeks ago spoke about this moment when my unveiling happens. You know, you're 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 going to know it, um, and uh, and you know the cover is. Extremely glamorous, quite beautiful, really. Um, and Bruce Jenner has been a person who's managed. He was a person who managed to try hard to stay in the limelight through the course of his career, and succeeded um, largely. And there's the whole Kardashian add-on function that served him for a while. So I, I think, you know, to answer your question, Colin, what changes things on the ground is when your friend, your your cousin. Your child, your neighbor, um, is in, involved in a certain movement that brings it home to you in the least glamorous and least spectacular of ways. Um, this, this, I mean, I can't help the, this extravaganza was so over the top in 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 its celebrity aspect. Of course, including Buzz Bissinger having Buzz Bissinger as the as a very interesting uh, writer of, of of the profile. That I don't know. I think I think. Some people are going to feel I'm, I'm, that's so remote from me <laughs> um, because it's, it's so spectacular and glamorous and well orchestrated. Graydon Carter, the editor of Vanity Fair, was questioned about you know this rollout, and he said something like, "Well, all stories have always come with a rollout." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, like, I thought about you know Homer and Milton, and um, <laughs> I think we just all need to know a trans person who has like a runny nose and the flu. And is just a normal person, but it's only 0.4 percent of our population. As I right, was, as a point. so it's hard to to uh, gin up any momentum. Uh, the, the certainly the the LG part of the LGBT. There's that's a larger cross section of of people. So we all do know somebody, and so that's a, maybe an easier transition to make. If I may misappropriate that word, Kate, what were you going to say? Yeah, I have a uh, a former student who's been transitioning over the past several years, uh, who's been uh, very uh, public on uh, social media. And it's been a roller coaster ride And I'd, for her. And I'd say uh, daily, if not hourly, it's a roller coaster ride, just going to the store, walking down, down the street, uh, dealing with microaggressions and worse. Um, and I, I hope that um, that Jenner's act will help people like my former student and make more space on the street in daily life. What you kind of want is for the – I mean I don't know. I, I always – I realize that as Jim is saying, most Americans – I don't know, most Americans? Most Americans I think don't have any kind of personal contact or relationship with a trans person. I kind of don't get how that is. I mean just – but I, but I, I, I understand it too. I mean, I, I don't get how it is because I don't know. I was in a Hartford Current newsroom with a person who was making the transition in that. But you just said zero point four percent of the population. But it's also That's probably tiny. more closeted than some of the other things, especially now where we're you know being gay is if you're this would be the time. Yeah, you know, this is your time. Oh now. yeah, no, and, and I mean, I do think that it's sort of the last tripwire, or at least the last tripwire I can, wire I can see. I mean, it really isn't cool. 
I don't think anywhere in America. I mean, obviously there are pockets and stuff, but it really isn't cool to be homophobic anymore. I mean, it really, unless that, you're Mike Huckabee. Yeah, I mean, you. Well, I mean, even he's more transphobic. We'll come to that. But it's just not cool to be homophobic. And really, you know, this battle is all over. But the shouting, shouting, right? The gay marriage battle is That's all over. But the true. Yeah, I mean, that just it's a it's a played out subject. But we're also, I think, a species that still really likes to struggle around these questions of what our sexual identities mean, what our genders are and stuff like that. So it turns out this this is the new frontier. This is the thing. I mean, you're sort of almost not allowed to be freaked out by homosexual sexuality anymore. But it, that's as we've seen this week, there, I think for a huge swath of America, it's it's OK still. I mean, we, we had this amazing caller on our show a couple of weeks ago when we were doing a show about this who just who just absolutely was not down with this in any popular possible way and, and wasn't shy about talking about it. And 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 I think that does make it this a kind of a. I mean, we looked at stuff, including stuff from Mike Huckabee, that indicates to you how tense this actually. Well, that really last still piece is. you sent from that columnist in the, the was it the Pittsburgh newspaper? Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Post Gazette, yeah, which is kind of a. Yeah, I don't. know. Maybe you want to sum that up. We could talk about that well, briefly it, here. It was a piece by Jennifer Graham, who I believe is an editor there. But uh, and the reason I know about this piece, I should say, is that John Dankowski was is from Pittsburgh originally, and he saw this, and it made him so mad, and that he took to Facebook about it. So anyway, um, yeah. And so her her argument basically is a, a very familiar one. But basically she says, or Jennifer Graham says, first of all, there's no particular reason to refer to Caitlyn Jenner in the female pronoun uh, or, or in, in any other female way. This is a man. His name is Bruce. He has a mental illness. It's called sexual, sexual dysphoria. Uh, she says it's still Mr., uh, despite the fiction presented by Vanity Fair and its breathless cheerleaders, because until below-the-belt surgery is done, Mr. Jenner is still male, albeit a male with great hair and breast implants. The truth, obscured by the noisy hosannas, is that the image is no more or less a lie than any other magazine cover. It comes, however, with a sinister bonus, the suggestion that anyone who is sexually conflicted can and should be awarded a radical rearrangement of their privates, even at taxpayer expense, and be awarded all the rights and privileges of their desired gender, including bathroom privileges, without anyone protesting that the bearded lady has no clothes. Um, I just will, I would, I, I, I'm eager to hear your reactions to all this, but I do want to say – it's sort of weird the way that she has two conflicting ideas in there, which is that, you know, there's this kind of price of admission thing that people bring up basically that if you haven't had these so-called lower surgery, you're just not real. So she invokes that trope, right? Price of admission is you've got to have the lower surgery. And then – but within the same breath, she's mad about the idea of people having the lower surgery if in any way she or anybody she knows is – going to have to pay for it or be financially implicated in, in, in any way. It's kind of, well, make up your mind because Bruce may not even, I mean, it's, it's nobody's business who has the lower, lower surgery. It seems like if, if you're the, the strongest, uh, uh, the, the, you're the wedge of your argument is bathroom use, then you're pretty much out of gas from the start. I mean, if that's really where this leads to is which bathroom do these people get to use? Then, we're, then you would think that this ship has sailed too. I mean I, if that's where you're going to hang your flag, it's kind of really? Then which bathroom? Yeah, there are gender-neutral bathrooms now. Right. right. Which would be – you know, 
Well, I was going to say in defense of them that Europe has had them for a long time. That doesn't always function as a good as a good <laughs> as, as a good point to make in the United States. But I, I, you know, her piece, and if you read the the, the posts, the people who posted, they almost uniformly people just excoriating her for being such a hater. From a certain point of view, one thing that's unfortunate unfortunate about her piece is it's so sarcastic uh, and mean. I wasn't actually sure when I read it at first whether she was. Yeah, I did. I saw your reaction. Mocking. You thought she was well, it, her, seemed, right? it seems yeah. so harshly from the other point of view that I thought she was actually <laughs> setting that up to right. knock it off. Right. And then, and because you know, at the end, you're reading these things pretty quickly to get on the show. And then, and then I realized, no, she actually is is, yeah. is taking that point of view. Well, one thing that's interesting to me is that it seems that people on not that, not that there are sides in this issue, but there sometimes is a competition in America to say that the other side is not allowing us to speak. Um, and and part of the anger, the, the sentiment behind this piece is the notion that an, evolve, an, an evolving and an increasingly dominant liberal slash progressive discourse is preventing a lot of people out there. I mean this part of this goes back to like Nixon's silent majority, right? Uh, and that narrative started to be written at that time. But preventing people from saying what they, what they believe to be true and that that's being squeezed out. While people on, I think, the progressive side of this issue would say, "Boy, well, are you, are you trying to tell me that uh, that this is that we have a transgender-dominated narrative in this country?" So there's a lot of shouting about who's being shut up and who's being shut out. Well, that was one of the early arguments of, of against gay marriage that it was somehow going to affect our relationships. That my somehow my relationship is going to be affected by gay marriage. Yeah, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking really purely about sort of a public discourse. Right. If, if the eyes have it, who are the eyes who right, have it? Right. And so one question that this piece that you just quoted from Colin raises for me is – and it's tied to your first question about where, where we're headed. Is there any room in the public square for people who harbor deep doubts about transgenderism? I, you know sure. what? I, 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 yeah, I'd like to hear from all of you about that. I want to hear from uh, you, uh, Kate, in, uh, first. But I do want to say this. Like, I, I even had a little. You know, social media is now where we have these run-ins, right? We don't we don't have them in coffee shops or grocery no, on store your show or on, on on the show. So I don't know. There was um, there was somebody. Uh, we're we're going to get to this, to this ESPN Courage Award thing, but somebody had posted somebody else's thing about how how Caitlyn Jenner should not be getting a Courage Award and it should be going to the uh, Lauren Hill, the young woman with cancer, and and uh, or to the to the Iraq vet, you know, who, the amputee who's pursuing sports, and and somewhere in that piece there was a slighting thing about how well just because she doesn't just because Bruce Jenner doesn't like the way he looks, that doesn't make him courageous. And I just you know I wrote back. I said somebody had shared this with me, and I just said you know. We can debate some of the parts of this argument, but I mean that's really – that's not cool. I mean this is a much bigger thing than Bruce Jenner doesn't like the way he looks. And right away some guy came back at me with you know, his own kind of um, Christian conservative-based argument that I mean it was all about the Lord. The Lord made you this way. You don't get to decide. You know. and, and he goes – and he said, and I hope you'll just you know, accept that that's my opinion and we have to agree to disagree. And I thought – I do. I mean, I don't want to hang around with you probably, but <laughs> no, that's fine. That That's fine if you think that. I mean, it's not fine if you act on that, if you discriminate on people based against, against people based on that, if you use that to foment violence or, or even, as you said, Kate, microaggression based on that. But if in your heart you can't get there, you know, I mean, well, then that's what's in your heart right now. Well, you know, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised um, – to read online that uh, 
Bristol Palin and Sarah Palin <laughs> and others are jumping into the, the debate. Right. And I was momentarily shocked to realize that some people uh, see Caitlyn Jenner and the media attention that she's getting as an affront to the Bible. And that really hadn't crossed my mind. Um, You know, I think about, um, you know, what people say, oh, uh, God didn't create Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Steve, Steve, he created Adam and Eve. But then again, I I have to think about um, the work of um, the professor Ann Fausto Sterling, who wrote Sexing the Cherry. And she talked about the fact that uh, in terms of anatomy, humans are along a continuum. Mm -hmm. And it's not even always clear to the doctor or to the parents uh, what gender or sex, uh, uh, what sex a person is when they're born. And I just think we have to get away from these binaries Mm -hmm. that we all don't act the same. We're not the same physically. We're not the same in terms of our self-perception or our gen- gender identity. Mm-hmm. And having said all that, I'm afraid of anesthesia. So I don't want to go under the knife for any reason. And have I don't you, Have you tried understand. the new anesthesia? Yeah. You're going to like it. Um, well, the, the, I do, one thing I do want to ask here is – is there – and we did sort of touch on this in our emailing, you know. I mean, OK, so who was Bruce Jenner? Who is Caitlyn Jenner? Um, I mean, obviously uh, a very distinguished athlete, but then a participant in a lot of reality television that I frankly have not watched, uh, but I am aware of. You know, it, part of this whole Kardashian constellation that you could just – Where's Jacques? You know, yeah, where's Jacques uh, Lamar when we need him? So um, – and and – I, it, you know, just to, to Kate Rush's original point, which is somehow or other, most of us have to live in this valley uh, between uh, the beautiful man on the Wheaties box and the beautiful woman on Van, Vanity Fair. You know, it, can can Caitlyn Jenner really be a placeholder for all the people making these complicated choices and navigating all these complicated things when, in fact, this is so different, right? I mean, it started in the context of reality television where people with no filter and no boundaries exhibit every possible aspect of themselves for God knows what reason. I don't really understand why they do that. And then this has gone – this has been pipelined directly to Vanity Fair, the Twitterverse and anywhere else. I mean, this – in some ways, Rand, this feels a little sui generis as opposed to symbolic of everybody else's journey. You know, it probably – I'd say two things to that. First, it's it probably a mistake ever to underestimate the power of celebrity um, in, in the popular imagination. Celebrity is a production of the popular imagination. And uh, although any of us might sit here and deconstruct that as a valid way for any individual living here among the whole hoi polloi to understand his or her life, the reality remains that Americans do. Um, and, and so if you're going to make this argument that, that, that she will be an, an effective path forger for people, it really is an argument based on the seemingly endless uh, grip that celebrity has on our, on our imagination and, and that's, that's an essential dynamic. But on the other side, I will just say again, and I, and I don't want to contradict you, Colin. You said earlier you, you think it's sort of peevish of people to say this is about Bruce Jenner and his looks. Uh, you know, one of the challenges that faces anyone who's 
Bruce, uh, who's Caitlyn Jenner's age, is how do you how do you handle your age gracefully? I mean, this is a person who's soon going to be pushing seventy. Um, is is that is sort of this the model of of what the near septuagenarian should should be doing in terms of you know handling physical aging gracefully? I mean, she looks like a you know th- she looks like Mariska Hargitay. She looks like a thirty eight year old gorgeous woman. You know that any 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 man yeah, uh, trans uh, seventy is the new cis fifty. Right. <laughs> so so. I mean that 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 bespeaks again the distance from 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 the real people's lives. So what I see is this interesting dynamic, um, dis- very distant on the one hand, but also with with star power. And I don't th- you know people are immediately heaping upon her that she is now the spokesman for the trans community. She's just a celebrity undergoing this. There's still this vast community of people who who have many spokespeople for them. Janet Mock and uh, Laverne Cox who who are kind of – but these are all people who from what I've read about sort of conform to what they call transnormative beauty. And so it's easier for us, the cis community, to to sort of access that. And the other thing that people aren't talking about is regardless of, of whether you're on the luxury liner transition or you're in cargo, uh, there is probably an enormous amount of pain associated with this experience. It's a lifelong bag that they're carrying and and Caitlyn Jenner found a way to do this like in her own personal jet while other people have to do it in a, a, a closet in Brooklyn. Well, this may have helped get her the jet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that. Uh, well, you know, you I, just know have, I just have to say that there's that the, is Chris y- Jenner who was generating most of the income for the last ten years. Right. What were you going to say, Kate? Well, you know, I'll just say I have actually seen the Kardashians a couple of times, <laughs> and Gasp. I always thought that Bruce Jenner In sitting, airport, like sitting on the couch mm-hmm. just I don't know, he looked like to me like he was depressed a depressed Dagwood Bumstead. And so, you know, I'm hoping to see some other spirit coming out of um, Caitlyn Jenner. And I, I must say I was really quite moved by his, uh, her conversation with Diane Sawyer, mm-hmm. uh, most specifically when she said Bruce was always lying. Mm-hmm. And that, that really moved me. And I think a lot of people will be able to relate to Caitlyn Jenner on, on that level. And going back to something that, that Jim said, I also read about uh, Laverne Cox uh, from Orange is the New Black. And I had forgotten that uh, she was on the cover of Time last year. And she is an activist and she does speak out for, uh, for you know, kids who get put out of the house, you know, because they're caught wearing their, their, their sister's dress, that sort of thing. And so I'm hoping that you know, this will open up Caitlyn Jenner's eyes to other people as well. We're going to have to take a little break here. If you've got anything that you wish that you had said or wish that we had said or wish that we hadn't said, you can tweet it to us at WNPR Colin. Keep those cameras rolling. Kim is clearly going. Kanye probably wants to date me. Hey, nice to meet you. My skin's still pasty, but here's my cover. So call me Caitlin, age 65 year old, classy lady, and Chris move over, and call me Caitlin. 
All right, uh, we're back. We're going to change uh, gears a little bit here. Uh, by the way, uh, here on the notes today, we have Rand Richards Cooper uh, and uh, Jim Chaplin and Kate Russian. Um, we're going to change gears a little bit here. This is a piece that I think Betsy Kaplan, yeah, Betsy Kaplan pointed us to. This is a piece by the New Yorker's excellent essayist uh, Adam Gopnik, and he's looking at something that's in the news today because it's also kind of a moving target a little bit. Uh, it's the story of former House Speaker Dennis Hastert, the longest-serving Republican Speaker in history. Um, he was indicted last week uh, by the Justice Department. He was accused of lying to the FBI about a series of bank withdrawals he made just below the $10,000 uh, you know, reportable limit. Uh, and the payments seem to have been made to somebody identified in the indictment as Individual A. Uh, this seemed to have something to do with repressing um, the story of a sex scandal that uh, Dennis Hastert uh, wanted repressed. Um, we, we still don't have – this is not all exactly precisely pinned down today. But what we have, among other things, is the sister uh, of a young man who was the equipment manager uh, back when Dennis Hastert was a high school wrestling coach. Uh, and this sister is saying it was uh, my brother. They had a, a, um, a sexual relationship over many years while my brother was a high school student. Uh, and uh, since then, that young man has uh, died of AIDS. Uh, but the, this is what it's all about. It's still sort of not exactly clear, as Jim pointed out, I think, in one of the emails, who exactly Dennis Hastert was paying. But um, but that seems to be the story. I mean, we say this with the proviso that, I mean, things could conceivably change. But this is kind of the way the story has shaped up. And so um, Adam Gopnik used this as an example of how we've changed. Uh, and Rian, I'm going to sort of st- I'm going to start with you. He's sort of saying, well, you know, we went through the 90s and the Clinton scandal, which really was, he says, a sex scandal, no matter what you call it, whether you say it's about perjury, it was really a sex scandal. And even then, it was slowly uh, becoming clear as each shoe dropped that that Clinton was being persecuted by men who had comparable problems. Newt Gingrich really kind of had two of these uh, kinds of, of stories, uh, and and one of them actually involving an intern, pretty much simultaneously. It's Callista, who is now his wife, but she was an intern uh, almost simultaneously with Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. Uh, he was he eventually stepped down, was replaced by Bob Livingston, who was speaker for a cup of coffee yeah. when it came out that he had multiple extramarital affairs in his background. And now this story of Hastert. But but Rand Gopnik's point is a little bit different. He's saying we've really kind of reached the end of this kind of scandal, right? Yeah, he he first of all, he does um Point out, as you said, that uh, that that the attempt to impeach Clinton really, really was an, an attempt simply to hang him on the hook of a sexual scandal. And I think he quotes Michael Kinsley saying that Clinton, yes, did Clinton lie? Because the people who were trying to impeach, impeach Clinton said this is about a president lying um, uh, while giving testimony. But Kinsley says he lied in answer to questions he should not have been asked. And Gopnik gives a pretty good explication of that point of view, one I agree with completely. And yet he goes on to say, however, what Clinton actually did with an intern is likely to be judged far more harshly today than it was at the time. Um, People had distaste, of course, for Clinton and even people who were Democrats and who were allied with Clinton, including, of course, uh, our own Connecticut senator at the time, Joe Lieberman, who sort of uh, restarted his career by having Clinton distaste at that moment. But Gopnik writes, the sexual exploitation of an intern, even an entirely willing and eager one, because Lewinsky was how old? 23 or something? Something like that, yeah. Uh, Would surely be judged more harshly now than it was then as a worse thing than Clinton's defenders still want to admit. So – and the reason for this, Gopnik says, is that we've come a ways in 20 years in our sense of the relationship between sex and power. And we are very 
quick to judge sex when it occurs in a hierarchical power relation as being inappropriate and wrong. We're all over that. But then he notes that at the same time in the popular culture, we become sort of unshockable and that the abundance of erotic action everywhere in the popular culture is, is, is explosive and he gives some, you know, some, some, uh, some examples. So he says, what has replaced the lingering Puritanism is a more acute sense of power relations. We become at once less shockable about the erotic and more punitive about the uses of power. Although that was kind of always there in the Monica Lewinsky story. But Kate, on college campuses today, that power relation question is huge, you know, um, just huge in terms of, uh, of, I mean, so it's not just sort of interns uh, up on Capitol Hill, but a lot of questions about um, what happens between professors and, and, and students. The, the power question, I don't know if it's replaced the sex question because there's still a sex question there within the power question. Yeah, for for me, we've got to put the hypocrisy question in there as well. I think that uh, one reason um, that many people, myself included, uh, react so strongly uh, in regards to the Dennis Hastert uh, situation is has to do with his hypocrisy and his judging and criticizing other people as well and using um, – uh, uh, a false sense of piety or whatever to bash other people. Uh, as far as uh, uh, the uh, power dynamic goes, whether it's someone as a coach or a, uh, a professor or uh, a Boy Scout leader, I think uh, is very important as well, that people are abusing their power on many different levels that has – these horrible, long-ranging uh, uh, impacts on their victims. You know, I mean, Jim, the, and, and I'm turning to Jim now also because he's been taking some online courses in Dugar studies uh, so that he can uh, try better to understand this part of it. I mean, one thing that I said to you in an email, I'm not even sure I believe this anymore. Uh, in the last six hours, I may uh, have changed my mind about this. But that when you look at the Dugar, the Dugar family, these are the 19 is not enough or whatever their TLC's show is called. Um, these are people who who had adopted this very censorious style uh, in talking about sexual mores, uh, even had some pretty uh, unpleasant things to say about transgendered people and locker rooms and how they were all – Robocalls all, even. Yeah, all essentially – yeah, that's right. They were involved in making ro- robocalls saying that transgender people were all essentially pedophiles trying to get into the locker room or the other locker room or something like that. But th- there's something a little unsophisticated about all that, that the power players, you know, the, the, the Newt Gingriches, they moved on because they just don't think – that you can get traction with a sex scandal that's just pure sex. And now you have these sort of untutored, less impressive, you know, unsophisticated people like the Duggars who are, who are caught in exactly the same trap now with a member of their family apparently having engaged as a young man in his own acts of molestation. But that – I don't know. I don't even know what point I'm making. Well, there's two, there's two parts. Save there's two me. prongs to this. And one is I think – Denny Hastert might be a sort of a vestigial dinosaur of an older time, that he's a repressed conservative homosexual who it would have never been cool for him to come out as opposed to someone like Barney Frank who came out like when he was 22 or something. I forget what it was. But he's always been out. 
and and so it was extremely important for him to r- repress and deny all of uh, any of his well, past. Also a pedophile, and he's a pedophile, right? So I was I was going to get to that, but, yeah, okay. but that's the second. But, but you got you got right? to it, okay? So that and that's the tie-in to the Duggar thing. This is an act of pedophilia. It's not just molestation, or, or and and the the main complaint, if you watch the interview with the Duggars, is the media is ganging up on them. And then I, you're throwing your entire existence. The existence of your family is dependent upon the media. You don't exist without the media. You're a struggling family who somehow had 19 kids. How do you afford to do that? And at one point in that show, which is the only show that I sort of parent protected from my daughter when she was 10 <laughs> because I thought it was so obscene and horrible – is the doctor is telling her if you have another child, and I think they were in Did 17. she have all nineteen? Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, God given, and and uh, quiverful, right? That's the term. right, right. James taught us this. Several quiverfuls, I think. That's like she's like Green Arrow of children. Uh, at at some point, the doctor says, if you have another child, either you will die or the child will die. And I I think there was some sort of horrible medical thing, and she goes out to have two more children. To keep the ratings up. I mean she's got to be out of kids now, I hope. I mean I, I don't know. But it's 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 there's that part of it that's horrible. But the whole point of their existence is media driven. And now they're complaining that the media is being unfair to them. And, and that's speaking to uh, um, the hypocrisy that you spoke about earlier, which is – Horrifying in this case. We, you know, you live by the handheld camera. You die by the handheld camera. True, by the jittery cut. Gopnik's piece ends on an on an ambiguous note. I, I, I thought he said essentially we are becoming relentless in our pursuit, uh, in our attempt to sort of expunge power relations from from sexual relations. And in the academy, as Kate was uh, was mentioning earlier, you can see there's been a, a sort of incremental. Um, uh, a set of increasing prohibitions for what is acceptable between professors and students. It used to be that, okay, you know, basically students are adults, professors and students can have sex. Then it was, yeah, they can have sex, but not if they're in your class because that's a power relationship. And now most colleges and universities are developing codes of behavior that forbid it completely. I remember an anguished essay written by a UMass professor a number of years ago who had married a person who had been his student and he made a pretty cogent case for uh, that being you know, not only an acceptable thing but, in, but actually an important thing. Uh, and and you know that now seems like like like, like the cry of the pterodactyl, um, and and you know this notion that we that we are going. I think Gopnik at the end says, sex at some level is a power relation, and there are murky power relations involved in erotic life. We're not going to be able to uh, you know he said leave it to novelists, let them portray it. Don't let us don't let us police it. Yes. Police it to the extent that we have to in order to prevent really depraved things from happening. Having but, gone to a Berkeley College of Music, I can assure you there was absolutely no sex that ever took place on any <laughs> level by either a professor or a student in any part of their lives during that period. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, he, he does say, uh, Kate, you know, we shouldn't spy on or persecute other people having sex unless some reprehensible or criminal act is involved. But, I mean, that leaves 
wide open this re- – the truth is I, – I, the first time I read that piece, I thought, well, yeah, it's sort of true that maybe you can't get in trouble anymore for just having sex, right? I mean there has to be some other dimension to it. But then I thought there's always some other dimension to it. So post-Clinton, you've got John Edwards. Well, you know, John Edwards managed to be incredibly creepy even at a time when people are getting a little bit desensitized to some of these issues of infidelity because of who Elizabeth Edwards was, because of other aspects of this, uh, because of the fact he may uh, – he, he wasn't sure whether he'd fathered a child. He was he, – he tried to get a staffer to take the blame for the whole thing. <laughs> you know, remember that? Um, you know, Elliot Spitzer got in trouble, not in a way that has ended his career. It's still sort of viable on the media, but because he was an attorney general Anthony prosecuting – Prosecuting prosecution, Anthony Weiner. I mean, it, the truth is there is no such thing as just having sex, right? There's always context and the context is frequently a problem. And it's about power. And I got to go back to something that, that Jim said that it's really disturbing to me at, about the uh, Dennis Hastert uh, uh, affair scandal is that the assumption – by a lot of people is that Dennett Hastert is a closeted gay man and that is not known. Uh, I, think, I think more pertinent is that he's a man in power who abused his power uh, and I, I think we always have to go back to that. Right. I mean he's Jerry Sandusky. I mean if this stuff is true. I mean, we don't know. But if it's true – Well, you know something's true because there's – Three point five million, million dollars. dollars, a lot of money, and, and, and honestly, in, yeah. in checks that are under ten thousand dollars. So that's a whole right. lot of checks. Right. He didn't do this because he was buying a lot of Sondheim albums. All right, right, we have to take a break. We'll come back with endorsements after this. Now I'm really confused. I wrestled with Nancy Pelosi. Does that make me gay? Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Kelsey Bissell, Jules LeFevre, Deborah Timms, and Alex Dubin. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jeffrey Tambor. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff dressed up as their favorite Kardashian, visit WNPR.org slash Colin. On Monday's show, The Scramble catches up on the Tonys and the weekend news. And now, back to Colin. All right. Now it's time for a segment which we shamelessly stole from Slate Culture Gab Fest called Endorsements. Um, so uh, I'll start with Rand. Well, I'll, move the, I'll move this way. What have you got go for your super fast because I have four things. Next Thursday evening, wow. 7 p.m. at West Hartford Public Library, Dan Pope is giving a reading from his new novel, Housebreaking. He's a lifelong West Hartford resident. The novel is set in West Hartford. I'm going to be doing Q&A with him. I, just, I want to say I read that over my breakup in the Berkshires. It's a, it's a fun Fast read. It's got it's got, got all kinds of um, terrific uh, stories within stories, and there are like scenes set in the Crown, for completely example. The in, the, in the, the Crown, crown market. market yeah. It's full of West Hartford. It's the Thursday, seven p.m. Uh, Hartford Blooms is sponsoring a week and a half of tours of gardens uh, in in Hartford, and you also can take a tour of the Blue Onion Dome and the Colt Tower. So go to hartfordblooms.org. Third thing, a terrific new restaurant, new-ish, in South Glastonbury called Sayulita, S-A-Y-U-L-I-T-A. Are you going to get worried about your cognition if I tell you you endorsed it the last time you were on? Yes, I am. (laughs) And fourth, um, our neighbor... 
Um, our neighbor, uh, Council Brandon, who's a senior at Watkinson, has, has uh, made a movie as part of her senior project. It's a terrific film. Both I and my daughter have roles in it. Go to Google Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, Brandon, plus the title of the film, which is It Is So. Her mother, Heather Brandon, works here at, at NPR. And uh, it's a terrific bit of filmmaking. Irene Papoulis' son, Cyrus Duff, scored the, the techno music for it. It Is So. All right. Yeah, these kids, uh, they're amazing. They're all going to take over the earth. Um, all right. So and while we're still here, too, uh, Jim Chaplin, what have you got for I'll us? I'll talk about old people then. Um, uh, our new season, I'm happy to say, of Infinity Hall Live, which is really starting to gain traction, is debuting on uh, PBS locally on July 12th. I'm not sure who the first person is, but we have a great lineup. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks, Jackie Green, Robin Ford. Uh, some some other I, I mixed all of these, but it becomes a little blurry. But they really are. I re, this season has been so fun to mix because they're really good bands. Yeah, and you haven't always said that. No, I haven't. Um, but I I've always believed it. I just haven't said it. Uh, there's a new Jelly Roll Morton box set, uh, five discs, and it's amazing. It's like time travel. Get that. And then lastly, the return of the Shinolas. Uh, this summer, we're going to try something different. We're uh, going to try two nights with speakers on a stick at the Corner Pug. Uh, hmm. That'll be in uh, on June 22nd and I think July 23rd. And then we'll be back at the main pub for August 17th, a Monday. So that's, we have the two, one that's in Manchester, right? Right. So yeah. two Tuesdays and a Monday. We haven't been around in a long time, so come on out and uh, help support live music. Chanel is Jim's uh, amazing band, and they are one of these bands that can kind of play anything in any style. Um, and uh, I'll never forget Chris Collingworth from uh, Founds of Wayne saying as he per- guest performed to the audience, I hope you realize what a great freaking band this is, although he did not say freaking. Go ahead, Kate. All right. I am recommending uh, an event, three events taking place at the New Haven Festival of Arts and Ideas in honor of the artist activist Angela Bowen at 2 o'clock uh, on June the 16th at 2 p.m., there's a master class by the Shari Caldwell Dance Center. 4 p.m., there's a preview screening of the film The Passionate Pursuits of Angela Bowen. And after that, I'll be on a panel with uh, Beverly Sheffdell Guy from uh, Spelman College, Lachance, the actress who's been on Broadway, Angela Robinson, Connecticut Superior Court Judge, and Sherry Caldwell choreographer. Uh, she's a wonderful woman and I uh, hope people come out for that. It's free. Go to artidea.org. Also, I love the 100-year-old man who climbed out of the window and disappeared. It continues at Real Art Ways. Imagine Forrest Gump as a quirky, grown-up, unsentimental Swedish road film. I thought it was very funny and refreshing. That's at uh, realartways.org. And one more, Laverne Cox, model, actress of Orange is the New Black and trans uh, person, will be featured with the cast on the cover of Essence magazine. I think that's a note in African-American history. 
All right. Um, because uh, particularly because of the Dennis Hastert story and what did happen to that young man, I was going to recommend Ard for AIDS, uh, a great party here in Hartford on Saturday night. However, it's sold out. So next year, get your Arts for AIDS uh, tickets a lot earlier. Uh, I'll, instead, I'll do two kind of sports-related things. One of them is a piece in the current issue of New York Magazine about Gordie Howe. Uh, Gord- we, some of us remember the Gordie Howe uh, era here in Hartford uh, when, the, when the Whalers uh, featured Gordie Howe and his sons Mark and Marty all playing in this. Uh, I mean, hockey isn't really that easy a game to play that late into your life, but the, but that was what was happening. But at a huge cost, it turned out, and, and there are a lot of things wrong with Gordie Howe. There's a very controversial, very interesting story unfolding, and the New York Magazine writer Reeves Weidman covers it very well, uh, about Gordie going and getting an unconventional stem cell treatment uh, for some of his cognitive and post-stroke problems in Mexico and sort of what's happened as a, as a result. And um, But he also really gets into the family dynamics. It turns out there's another Howe brother named Murray who's a, um, a radiologist and he never was a very good hockey player and he's kind of taken over. It's, it's a really interesting story of family dynamics. And So if you were ever interested in the Howe story, you're going to see so much of it that you never saw during the days when this was all unfolding here in Connecticut. And as long as I'm on sports, um, I would recommend – you know, spend 30 minutes. You don't even have to watch a whole game because as everybody out in the newsroom is saying, they're on too late anyway. But this is a pretty interesting NBA uh, championship Ooh, series. And, and Stefan Curry is certainly worth the price of admission all Man. by himself. And uh, But the thing that I really want to endorse and I really want to salute uh, is the uh, announcing work of Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mark Jackson, who are among one of the among the best sort of troikas doing this kind of stuff uh, today or maybe ever. And they have this kind of hilarious dynamic. I'll just give one quick example. Last night they were coming back from the first half and Mike Breen asked Mark Jackson, former player, former coach, uh, for his keys to the second half and Jackson went into some detail. And then as the half was just starting, he turned to Van Gundy and said, what about you, Jeff? What do you think are the keys? And Van Gundy in his whiny voice said, you don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very much their dynamic. Anyway, we're going to be back on Monday. Thanks to Rand and Kate and Jim. You know why Caitlyn Jenner's name is spelled with a C? Nope, I don't either. And it doesn't matter how hot she is. I just hope we all take note and encourage authenticity in our lives and the lives of those around us. Bravo, Caitlyn.